they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome to the Bible with the Barbers. My wife is under the weather. So pray for her that she'll be back in the saddle next Friday. And um, I have a special edition today because I'm going to be talking about salvation history. Dr. Scott Hahn, 30-some years ago, taught both Jesse and myself and my wife. We went to the classes on salvation history, and they were terrific. But I want to just mention something to you that it was just 32 years ago. Uh, Dr. Hahn just tweeted this out yesterday. November 11th, 1989 is when he went to St. Francis de Sales Church in Riverside, California. There were about 31 people there in the audience. (laughs) Are you ready to hear this Protestant minister give his testimony? Well, my wife, Mary Danielle, and I had just gotten back from our honeymoon. We went to Fatima, Portugal. And I had, oh gosh, back then at St. Joe's, we were recording lots of conferences We had six separate conferences that night to go record. So I asked my bride, which one would you like to go to? And she said, well, let's hear this Protestant minister. It sounds interesting. So I said, okay, let's go. So we went. And by golly, when we heard that conversion story of Scott Hahn, we were like blown away. We thought, well, God's going to use this in a very powerful way. I mentioned that to Dr. Hahn. It wasn't Dr. Hahn at the time. He was not known by anyone. And uh, so... So anyhow, uh, we took that cassette tape and we sent it to EWTN. We started promoting it on different ads for National Catholic Catholic Reporter. We went to OSV and different Catholic periodicals, and people were just loving it. And um, so I tell the story that you might not have heard, but it's interesting because, Scott, this was in late 89, and— in the early part of the 1990, uh, Scott, and uh, he asked me a funny question. He said, Terry, uh, we want to go buy a house in Steubenville. I'm going to be moving from Joliet. Uh, Steubenville's offered me a job, and uh, my bride, uh, Kimberly, would like to go house hopping. And Do you know anybody that could uh, help us with a down payment on a house? And I said, well, you know, Scott, I think I could help you on that. Uh, tell you what, you make uh, cassette tapes for me, and um, I'll give you the, it was $10,000, that's all it was, but it was a lot of money back then, 32 years ago, because I was in real estate, and I had the resources at that time, and uh, I did it, so I didn't even sign a contract with him, I just sent him the money the next day, and he was able to buy a house, and you can imagine how happy that made him, because he now could buy a house for his bride and kids, and um, he always mentioned that to me, that he'll never forget how uh, that affected the Han family. So he started doing recordings for me, and he's been a great friend, and now he's got over 40 books published. Um, he's been very instrumental in helping Catholics understand the Bible, and that's why I'm bringing it up, Bible and the Barbers. And he, he did a series called Salvation History, and that was one of his most you know, popular series, turned into a book, but uh, that salvation history was just so good because it gave a bird's eye view. And I'll just give you the, um, 
the, the adult ed study guide re- report of what it's all about. Scott is trying to simplify people the Old Testament covenantal salvation history by focusing upon a sequence or series of covenants that God established down through the ages of the Old Testament, leading up to the climaxing with the coming of Christ. That's a short paragraph describing salvation history. Now, I'm going to tell you this a couple times. If you want to get salvation history, uh, you can go to vmpr.org, uh, our website, or you can purchase it by going to catholicrc.org. But if you're a monthly donor, it's going to be free to you. So if you give $25 a month each month by signing up, then that becomes available. Much other, uh, Scott, a bunch of other series by Dr. Scott Hahn will come to you. Thousands of dollars worth of programming goes to your access by being a monthly donor. So what Scott does is he examines the covenant with Adam at the beginning of creation. And he takes it back to Pope John Paul II, He's, who was a saint. His encyclical, his first one, his first encyclical was Redemptor Hominis, underscoring the fact that God established a creation, a covenant bond with humanity. Adam's name is not only the name of an individual, the founding father of the entire human race, but it's also a Hebrew word for humanity. Did you know that? Much like we use the word Washington to denote the founding father of our country and the capital of our country as well. <clears throat> you see this? This is Scott just blew my mind when I heard all this, and I'm, I know it'll blow yours too. In view of this, we can say Adam is the name of our first human father, but is also the name of the entire human family. The covenant that John Paul II underscores is, in a sense, foundational covenant from which all the others in the Old Testament spring. First with Adam, second with Noah, third with Abraham, fourth with Moses, fifth with David, and finally, Jesus Christ comes to establish the new covenant. I'm telling you, this series will open your mind for the whole Old Testament, and we've always said this, if you don't understand the Old Testament, you'll never understand the New Testament. So if you want to get that series, like I said, you can get it for free if you're a monthly donor already listening. If you're not, go to catholicrc.org and purchase it. Uh, but I really want to encourage you uh, to, uh, to get the series because it's going to help your Bible studies, especially in the New Testament. So Scott Hahn does this by he establishing a covenant You establish a sacred family bond. And when God's covenant and humanity, in a sense, a series of Old Testament covenants, he's fathering his people. He's fathering his family. This is the theme that Scott goes through on salvation history. So in order to clarify and simplify why and when God did this in the Old Testament, what Scott does is begins to, by looking at the first covenant with Adam as a marriage covenant. He created man, male, and female. He created them, and he blessed them with to bid them to be fruitful and multiply. You see how the book of Genesis is critically important to understand, especially in our culture right now where we've missed it all. Scott also examines a few basic points 
that are very controversial. When one speaks of Genesis 1, this is important, everybody, Adam and the temptation, issues like creation versus evolution, that's all in that series, religion versus science. We're going to get into that later in these segments, but I want you to know Scott does about six hours of salvation history. If you were to get this course at Steubenville, which he teaches, you'd spend thousands of dollars going to his class. I recorded much of this in his classes. Now, um, creation versus evolution, religion versus science. He said, do we really, do we read this literally? Or is just a myth? Or is this a symbol? Wait till you hear Scott teach on this. Can it be harmonized with the geological periods of time over the eons? Can it be harmonized with Darwin's theory of evolution? This is all in this series. Or somebody else's theory of evolution? That really amounts to what many people think. Unfortunately, folks, many people have gotten sidetracked and consumed by these questions rather than trying to understand the most important issue in the creation account. And uh, the most important issue in Genesis, uh, he says he'll basically go and notice as a result of our own ignorance of Hebrews history. This is so important. You've got to understand what's going on at the time and the way in which the ancient Hebrew people wrote history. Too often, we in the 21st century Americans try to read scripture with a 21st century understanding. We miss so much that with that. If we are going to properly understand Genesis chapter 1, as well as the other parts of the scripture, we must do so with the understanding of an ancient Hebrew. Scott, it sets us up. I was blown away when I first heard this. I hadn't heard it anywhere else. It was, you know, 30-some years ago when he did it. But it's true. It's going to be true 50 years from now. And that is the purpose of an individual examination of the covenants throughout salvation history, beginning with the covenant God swore with Adam. Only looking at these covenants through the eyes of the Hebrew people. When we come back from our break, I'm going to go right into the salvation history series and again, if you want to get the series, you can go on the line to vmpr.org and just say, hey, I want to get that set. It's $25. Or become a monthly donor and you get all this stuff for free. I mean, thousands of dollars of downloads I've been giving away for four years since we started Virgin Most Powerful Radio because we want you to be a well-formed Catholic. We always say a, a world biblical view Catholic. That's what the Bible with the Barbers is all about, teaching you to have a biblical world view. So when we come back, we're going to talk about salvation history, and Scott calls it one holy family. And this is so important that you understand the Old Testament. And uh, when we come back, we're going to show you why it's important, because uh, without an understanding of the Old Testament, you lose so much of the New Testament. Hey, there's the music. I'm listening. You're listening. I am too. I'm listening. Bible with the Barbers. Mary Danielle will be back to, uh, next Friday. She's under the weather, so I'm solo, but not really. My guardian angel is with me, and we're talking about salvation history and why it's important to you to know your Bible. Stay with us, family. We're going to be right back. Go to vmpr.org to get all the goodies.
Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back to the Bible with the Barbers. I'm having fun uh, talking about salvation history. I'll never forget 30 years ago, 30-some years ago, Dr. Hahn shared this with us, and I recorded it, and you know, thousands of people have heard this. And uh, I even think of people who, you know, like Crisis Magazine, the editor of Crisis Magazine, convert to the Catholic faith. He, he said just recently on the Internet, 1991, someone gave him a copy of a cassette tape. Protestant minister became Catholic. It was Scott Hahn. And uh, he was so blown away by it, he just started studying and ended up becoming a Catholic, and now he's the editor of Lighthouse, or excuse me, of Crisis Magazine, and so many other people over the years. It blows me away. the The Lighthouse Catholic Media that I started, many of the management people are converts to the Catholic faith or reverts. They were Catholic only in name, and then they heard Doctor Hahn, and you know, thousands of Protestants have become Catholic because of this guy. So I thought, well, let's focus on some of his older works because. One of the things I've noticed is truth is never outdone by time. It's the truth today, tomorrow, and yesterday. It's always going to be true. And what Scott did is he took salvation history and gave it, gave it to a class, and we recorded all this, and it's available for you if you want it by going to vmpr.org. If you're a monthly donor, all of Scott Hahn's works are available to you for free. The reason I do that is $25 more a month or more, you're supporting us to pay our monthly bills, and I support you with solid Catholic teachings that you're going to, you know, it's going to change your life. Look at what Scott Hahn and only Scott Hahn has done. I don't think there's another layman in the church in the last 30-some years who's had the profound effect on the Catholic church when it comes to a world biblical view. So what he's doing now is he's proposing to simplify the Old Testament covenant salvation history by focusing upon the sequences of a series of, of uh, covenants that God established down through the ages of the Old Testament, leading up to and climaxing with the coming of Christ. Now, you might not know all the names right off the top of your head, but I think you'll recognize them. <laughs> Remember, uh, St. John Paul II, and I mentioned Redemptor Hominus, underscored the fact that God established a creation, right? So in Adam is the name of the father of the entire human family, the covenant that John Paul II underscores. He also mentions this in April of 1986. For those who are keeping score, it is, in a sense, a foundational covenant from which all the others in the Old Testament spring. The second covenant that God established with the human family is with Noah and his household. Check this out. This is important. The third covenant, centuries and centuries later, is with the patriarch Adam or Abram, as he is known then initially, before God changed his name. There, Abraham was a chieftain over a tribal household that God was willing to identify as his own and administered it through the covenant. This is so important for us Catholics to know this. So then Abraham had a son, Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. Wow, right? Who all, in a sense, fathered large families 
which became the 12 tribes of Israel. You see how important this is to know all this? This is foundational. Why Israel, right? Because God had changed Jacob's name to Israel. So the 12 sons of Israel became the 12 tribes and formed under Moses a national covenant. Doesn't this make sense? I remember the first time hearing this and I said, wow, I didn't know that. Now at Mount Sinai, after the Exodus and the Passover, God established a covenant with Moses and Israel to make them his people. Then the last covenant that we will focus upon in our overview this week, right, will be the Old Testament covenant with King David and his son Solomon because there the nation of Israel was granted by God a kind of power and prominence that was not just any old nations possessed. When you become a kingdom, <laughs> that means you rule over nations. You make them uh, vessels of the colonies, or you have. That's what God does when he established a covenant with King David. There we have the Old Testament covenants in sequence leading up to the coming of Christ. First with Adam, second with Noah, third with Abraham, fourth with Moses, and fifth with David. Then Jesus Christ comes to establish the covenant. You know what I love about this, folks? He is making it more simple. Because so many people really haven't studied the Old Testament. They say, I don't read the Old Testament. It's boring. Not when you understand it. And Dr. Hahn fired people up on the Old Testament. So how do you understand this covenant? Now, there are various ways to understand the covenant, okay? Some might use the word interchangeably with contract as the 21st century American people do. I say right from the outset, that's misusing the language. The difference between a covenant and a contract in the Old Testament and through a scripture is so profound, the difference could almost be highlighted by saying it's difference between prostitution contract and marriage covenant or between slavery and having a slave and having a son. Couldn't be further from each other. Yep. Contractual relations usually exchange property, right? I buy a house from you. You'll exchange goods, services, whereas covenants exchange persons. Do you see the distinction, everybody? I'll repeat it again. Covenants exchange persons. So when people enter into a covenant, they say, I'm yours and you're mine. That's what I said to my wife. That's what you said to your wife, to your husband. So God uses the covenant to enter into a relationship with those whom he created in his own image. Humanity and all human persons, I'll take it one step further and try to simplify it and make it practical. Are you ready? Based here, this would be good for it. This is based on the scholarship of countless scholars over the decades. The covenant can be properly understood. I believe it to be a sacred family bond. Scott really blew me when he said, I said, that makes sense. In ancient Israel, there was no word for family. I didn't know that. I bet you you didn't know that. Somebody could conclude, well, maybe for the ancient Hebrews, family is not important. 
But you can't read very far in the Old Testament before you realize that for them, tribal bonds, kingship, obligations, marriage, parenthood, brotherhood, all of these family relations are unbreakable bonds that God himself has instituted. So obviously, for the ancient Hebrews, yeah, come on, family was the most important thing. But then why no word for it? That's a good, reasonable question. Dr. Hahn says, I'm convinced that I'm arguing in a dissertation prison presently. The covenant was that the word that when you establish a covenant, you're establishing a family bond. And that when God covenants with humanity in a series of Old Testament covenants, what he's doing is he's fathering his people. Hey, that makes sense to me, Scott. Yeah. He's fathering his family. So in order to clarify and simplify why he did it, when he did it in the Old Testament, we can think of the first covenant with Adam as the marriage covenant. He created man, male, and female. He created them and blessed them and bid them to be fruitful. You see it all fits in now? Nobody ever taught me this until I was an adult. So don't feel like you're getting this too late. It's important to get it before your exit interview, <laughs> before you die. So he established humanity in a marital covenant. And then the second covenant with Noah. Follow me now. Now when the covenant is made with Noah, it's made with Noah who is married. But he also has three sons who are also married. See, this is all in the Bible. Together they form in Hebrew what would be known as a barap, or a household or a family. So our second pack will move from one holy Catholic marriage to one holy Catholic family. And then the third covenant with Abraham is made with the chieftain who, in a sense, bleeds the rulers over what you would call in Hebrew Mishabah or a tribe. You see how it all fits, folks? God's family now has moved from marriage to become a household, to become a tribe made up of many households and many, many marriages. He has a domestic servants by hundreds under his authority. We might not have realized that before. I sure didn't. Then when the 12 tribes of Israel and the covenant to God at Mount Sinai under Moses, there you have a national family, one national family of God made up of 12 tribes and hundreds of households and presumably thousands of marriages. Isn't this educational, folks? A world biblical view. You got to know the book of Genesis. So the structure of the covenant is always familistic, domestic. God administers kingship, relations and obligations through the covenant. It's a blood bond. Yeah. Ultimately, the covenant he established with David is intent upon raising Israel to a level where Israel can subjugate these other nations and force them, or in a sense, urge them to come up to Jerusalem annually in order for the nation to learn the law of God and wisdom that God has given to King Solomon, the son of David. You see how it's all for? In other words, folks, God, through these covenants, is doing his best to take 
that one human family which has been broken apart by sin, which has been torn apart by violence and injustice. He is trying to reunify this disfunded human family we know as the human race. It's his family, but it's broken by sin. And the covenants are the means by which he reunites and reconciles itself unto himself. Wow, Scott, you made it. Now, having said that, folks, that's just like a bird's eye view of what we want to accomplish because as we finish the series out this week, what I hope to do in highlighting and underscoring it is the fact that Jesus Christ comes. He doesn't (coughs) abolish or annihilate the Old Testament. But what he does is he completes it and he perfects it. How? Well, you're going to find out more, but by taking what in David's time, a national kingdom, by, by talking that national kingdom and making it an international kingdom. The Greek word for an international is Catholic. Are you getting it? Wow, much more when we come back on Salvation History. Dr. Scott Hahn, you're teaching us a lot about our faith And we have this world biblical view here on the Bible with the Barbers. Stay with us. I promise you, you're going to learn more about the book of Genesis and the Old Testament. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. Mary Danielle will be back next Friday. She's under the weather. I'm having too much fun because I used to teach this years ago when Dr. Hahn taught me. I said, man, I got to tell people about salvation history. That blew me away. So that's what we're doing, and I'm enjoying it. This is a, uh, a series we did 30 years ago, and it's still true, um, and when I had St. Joseph Communications. But we make all this available through Virgin Most Powerful Radio. When I turn things over like St. Joseph's and Lighthouse Catholic Media, I found Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I kept all the recordings of 30-some years of going around and taping things because they're very valuable. It's Scott Hahn's material. I mean, they turned into 40 books, all of these recordings. Scott has actually published 40 separate books mostly taken from the cassettes that we did in the 1980s and 90s. So I want to just continue on this venture of teaching you about the Old Testament and the covenant. I thought it was neat that Scott pointed out the Greek word for an international uh, is Catholic, universal, right? That the Catholic kingdom, which is not political or militarily, but rather a spiritual, ecclesiastical, and sacramental in which we know as we call it, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church worldwide, the family of God, the communion of saints. This is key for us as Catholics, okay? It's really key because we need to see that God has blessed us by making us Catholics. Boy, I thank God every day that I'm a Catholic. So many of my friends who came in had to come through just difficult times. It was brought to me by my parents, and the living of them. It's just so beautiful. So bringing us into his family and giving us the grace so that we can be tools and instruments that he uses to reconcile all the entire human race to himself. Now, do we realize the privilege we have as Catholics? I don't think many of us do. Nope. An attitude of gratitude is welcome just about everywhere. I always like to say, 
Humanity has a corporate destiny to become one unified family of God. And the Catholic Church is that sacramental organism and sacramental family which which we will be accomplished in a supernatural way. Now, natural human power is incapable. So the supernatural grace of Christ comes to form a new covenant, a worldwide family in Christ's own flesh and blood. Right? Now, the Cole, a scholar who had done work on divine sonship in his doctrinal dissertation said, in the Israelite tradition, the covenant relation always had something of a family about it. So important because what it is that unites family members, I'll tell you what it unites them, flesh and blood and a common name. My kids are named Joseph Barber, whatever, you know, and your kids are named after you. You know, so what, so, so here it is. So what it is that unites us in the Catholic family, the name we received when we were baptized and reborn into the Catholic Church. We were baptized, you remember, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, this is important, is the eternal and original family. We've got a father and a son, and those aren't our names that we, through our Names that God himself has revealed to us so that we might know what God is in himself, a family, a father, a son, and spirit, whose names are received when we were reborn and adopted and brought into God's family in baptism. Have you thought about that one? I did. So then in the Eucharist, that family bond is perfected and strengthened because there we receive the flesh and blood of our founding father of this new family, this covenant, Christ, the second Adam. Yes, Paul calls him the second Adam, right? Right in the New Testament. Because in his own flesh and blood, he has formed a new human race, a new human family, which he feeds and nurtures and expands. You know how he expands it? Through the Holy Eucharist. The Vatican II Council calls the Eucharist the source and summit of the Christian life. So when we receive our Eucharistic communion, do we look upon that as a family meal given to us by the very sacrifice of Christ in his own flesh and blood so that we can be bonded to God the Father? That we can become, in a sense, adopted members of of the Holy Trinity as our family so that heaven can be our home. Wow, and he said that to me that first time. I went, whoa, whoa I, want, I want heaven to be my home. <laughs> that is the sum, is the goal of this series. <clears throat> he says, I want to kindle a fire in your hearts so that you're going to feel what it means to have the dignity of sons and daughters of God. Not so that you can be a triumphal Catholic, looking down at our noses at non-Catholics and say, oh, you ignoramus. No, on the contrary, so that we can feel <clears throat> and be humbled by the awesome privilege of being fully in communion with God and his family, the Catholic Church, and so we can get excited about sharing that, not in an offensive way, 
but rather in an exciting and attractive and compelling manner. That's our goal. See, when we have gold, we want to share that goal. The gold is our Catholic faith. And again, you can get this complete series for free if you're a monthly donor at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Just go to VMPR, put your code in, and you got all kinds of Scott Hahn material. But if you're not, you want to get the series, you can go online, and I think it's $25 to get it. But if you're a monthly donor of $25 a month, you're going to get tons of recordings, not of just Scott Hahn, Bishop Sheen, Dr. Michael Barber, Jeff Cavins, Dr. Brant Petrie, all these great people I recorded for the last 30 years. They're going to be available to you to study your Bible and have that world biblical view that we're talking about. So what Scott is doing is he's giving us a bird's eye view. Now, it takes time, but it's important for that. And I'm going to review it briefly at the beginning of each talk. That's what Scott, that's how he teaches. But now we're going to have to get down there for the worm's eye view. You get it? The worm's eye view. And that's where we're going to go right now. Can we be harmonized with the geological periods of time over the eons? Can we be harmonized with Darwin's theory of evolution or someone else's theory of evolution? That really amounts to what many people think. Unfortunately, many people have gotten sidetracked and consumed by these questions rather than trying to understand the most important issues there is in creation and the account. Now, Scott Hahn is going to say a few words about Genesis 1. Now, that's incredible. Genesis 1, the beginning of the Bible. Uh, and we first should consider what creation really meant, means for us. Now, if we don't get this right, we'll get nothing right, folks. First of all, it is the church teaching that the Bible is inspired by God, that in addition to the human authors, there are human instruments that God uses. So this is how we understand the Bible. Okay? Instrumental authors of various books. God, in a very real way, is also the principal author of the Bible. It's inspired and comes from the Holy Spirit. God, a sense, is the principal author of Holy Scripture, according to Scott Hahn. No, according to Terry Burke. No, according to the church teaching. And therefore, it says, Whatsoever God wanted, and nothing more. Therefore, because God is truth, he does not err. This is a huge thing that our modern biblical scholars don't get. They think there's errors in the Bible. Nope. Once it's properly understood, as it's handled and interpreted in a responsible way, it will not lead us astray. The Bible will teach us truth, and one of the most important documents in the 20th century from the church about the Bible tells us that the errorlessness of the Bible is not just directed to things that pertain to our salvation, but the inerrancy and the infallibility also extends out to the history that's taught. That is such an important point that Scott is making about the Bible being inerrant. Now, immediately we encounter a problem, okay? Because the 21st century Americans approach the Bible, we can see lots of problems. For one thing, it doesn't give us history the way a 21st century American historians, historians give us history. 
Western history is almost always linear and in a chronological sequence, whereas Hebrew history and the sacred scriptures is often called elliptical. It's often concentric and and circular. Seldom do you find a linear sequence arranged in a perfect chronological order. This is important to know because they weren't just interested in recording the wars and the battles and the depressions and the elections like 21st century Western histories tend to do. Now, I'll give you one about the various interpretations regarding the 24-hour day of creation. Scripture gives us religious history, and it uses a lot of symbolic, and it uses a lot of figures, and it uses a lot of different literary types and forms that we have not got to understand. If we are going to accurately interpret the Bible, here it comes. So the question of a 6-24-day, is that what God did? Well, when we come back from the break, I'm going to give you what the church teaches about creation because it's important that you know and you have a biblical worldview. Again, if you want to get the whole series by Dr. Scott on Salvation History, it's $25 if you're not a monthly donor. But I would encourage you to become a monthly donor by going to vmpr.org and then all of Dr. Hans' works, 300 different talks that we have are going to be yours for the asking. And I thank you for listening to Salvation History. I hope it's inspiring you as much as it inspires me. Stay with us, family. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. I can't believe the hour's gone. we got one last segment. My wife is going to be feeling better. Please, God, next week, next Friday, she'll be back. But uh, when she got sick, I said, well, let me talk about salvation history, because I could go hours on salvation history. So... When, if, in fact, she gets sick again, I'll continue to add on to this. I'll mark, make, make a note where we stop. But the big question, the teaser was, what does the Catholic Church teach about the question of a 6-24-hour day of creation? <clears throat> well, Catholics are not forbidden to believe that, nor are we required. Yeah, did you know that? All right, just make that clear. Catholics have never been required to believe that God created in a 6-24-hour day In fact, down through the ages, a very few Catholic interpreters have taken that view, but you are allowed to. Now, there are other views as well, but those six days are symbols of God's activity and various other interpretations. We don't have time to go through them all. That would be a whole course that Scott could teach. There is, like I say, the literalistic interpretation that sees it 624 our days. There is a mythical interpretation which the church, in a sense, properly warns us against. That just sees the whole thing as nothing but a made up fable. The church insists that Genesis 1 through 11 gives us history. Can I repeat that? Because you're going to hear some knuckleheads in our Catholic church saying, that's just a myth. No, the church insists 
that Genesis 1 through 11 gives us history, but in an ancient Hebrew sense, not a modern Western sense. So it's kind of hard for us to understand how they did history back then. We might impose our standards and say, unless it's done our way, our standards, and say, unless, and say it can't be done at all unless it's our way. No, that doesn't necessarily mean it. But we're told, but they are told history using symbols and figures in a way that we would never tell history. For instance, I'll give you an example. In, in Daniel chapter 7, 400 years of Israeli's history are depicted in terms of four beasts that successively oppressed God's people, four ugly animals. Now, when you actually dig down into the interpretation of that, right, all scholars would agree that they refer to Babylon, present-day Iraq. Interesting enough, you know, Persia, Greece, Rome. Now, these are historical political entities, but they are historically described in the Old Testament through symbols. So we have to be aware of that. See, this is the kind of stuff you wouldn't know just as an ordinary Catholic. That's why we have to study God's Word. Now, other interpretations. Some scholars try to have the six days of creation correspond to six geological ages that some theorize have put forth. I think that's somewhat dubious myself, but there are scholars who have proposed that theory and defended it with great articulation. But for Scott, he says, I think for most scholars who are these days most responsible, I think the key to understanding the difference between literalistic interpretation and literal interpretation. In other words, we have to approach Genesis in an ancient Hebrew narrative. That See, we wouldn't know that, would we, as 21st century Catholics? So I'll say it again. We have to approach the book of Genesis as an ancient Hebrew narrative that is telling history that's religious, not secular, that is family history, nor political military history like we like to tell. And it's telling this religious family history using many figures and symbols. For instance, <clears throat> here's a great question. Why does God create in six days and rest on the seventh? Because he couldn't get the whole family thing done in one day? No. It means this. God, he could, you know, just go uh, and say, hey, it's done. If he, if he wanted to. I mean, if he meant meets the job description, God could do that right. So why did he do it in six days and rest on the seventh? It's a reasonable question. There are various interpretations and explanations given. The one that impresses Scott Hahn the most is built upon the recognition that the Hebrew word, the verb, to swear a covenant is literally built upon the Hebrew term to sever, sever oneself. <clears throat> I remember back in Hebrew class in the seminary, Scott Hahn says that the Hebrew professor giving out a vocabulary list and I saw the word, I saw the word to swear a covenant. And then there was a comma or to seven oneself. 
I raised my hand and said, Professor, which is it? Is it to swear a covenant or to sever oneself? And he said, well, look, the verb to swear a covenant is built upon the number seven. The thought occurred to me, and I have since found it in many reputable scholars, and of course, that explains why God's creation is depicted in seven days. Because what is God doing in the act of creating the cosmos? He's swearing a covenant to the world. I get the connection. You never get that connection just reading the book of Genesis. So he's swearing a covenant to his world. He's not just master. We're not just slaves. He's not just a creator and we're creatures. That's true. But it does go far, uh, far enough. If, if he had stopped on the sixth day, we would be creatures, slaves, and private property of God. But he went on the blessed the seventh day and took rest and invited us into the rest because that represents the covenantal relationship and he established with his covenant. Is that powerful? Now, what's a covenant? A family bond, a sacred family bond. That is why I suspect if you turn to Job 38 or Psalm 104 and the other passages of the Old Testament where the whole world is described, you don't read about you know, galaxies and black holes and solar systems. You don't have a scientific description. Every time I find creation being described, it's described in one of three terms. Either it's described as a house, a palace, or a temple. Isn't that interesting? It's got foundations. It's got a cornerstone. It's got pillars. It's got a donor, a door. It has windows. It's got a roof. It's got a garden. It's got all kinds of things that you have when you decorate a house, a palace, or a temple. Do you see why this is so beautiful? When God creates in seven days, he creates a house. He builds himself a home that he can move into so that he can dwell in our midst as a father, not just a creator. So we are not just creatures. We are his children. Now, I would suggest that we get closer to the heart of how the religious history of Genesis 1 is intended to underscore, to be understood, using symbols and getting a literal historical truth but using literal figures to do so. Now, we could add other explanations, and I think this doesn't rule out other explanations, but I think this gets a little bit closer to the Hebrew understanding of what it means for God to create six days to rest and invite the creatures into the Sabbath. Now, Scott's going to move on. Uh, he wants to move on, but before he does, he wants to underscore one point that I've already made, and that is we can read the Bible with confidence. Sometimes you'll come across scripture scholars, and we do unfortunately, who prefer, who perhaps out of touch with the church taught teachings, has taught and still teaches, and will always teach that the Holy Spirit always leads believers to see, and that is the Bible is absolutely reliable. Yes, it is. Once in a properly understood and without error. St. Thomas Aquinas once said in his famous Summa, our faith receives its surety from Scripture, 
As St. Augustine says in the Epistle to Jerome, if by one untruth be admitted to sacred scripture, the whole authority of scripture is weakened. And he goes on to say, with God as principal author, there are no errors. And once the Bible is properly understood and interpreted, that's the key proviso, of course. So I'm going to end with what we are doing there and is trying to see the Bible in its own terms. We're not trying to see the Bible in the 21st century science. No, we're trying to understand the narrative in its own terms. Seeing the covenant idea is central because when you read the Old Testament as I did over and over again, what becomes clear to me over and over again is the central idea of a covenant. There are other central ideas too, but one central idea was the covenant. I'll end with St. Augustine. Once he said, the new covenant is hidden in the old covenant, whereas the old covenant is explained by the new covenant. I'll repeat that because that is a, a very beautiful statement from Augustine. He says, <clears throat> the new covenant is hidden in the old covenant, whereas the old covenant is explained by the new covenant. So we are going to be taking this genus, this panoramic view as we work through Genesis 1, 2, and 3 as we consider creation a little more closely, but with the idea that what we are trying to gain is practical and profound wisdom to live the Christian life. It isn't just esoteric theory or an ivory towel theologian. It's for us to come to a much more intimate understanding of all that our Lord has been doing for us throughout the ages. And when I do another show on this, I'll continue with the salvation history. But if you want to get a copy of this, it's on our website, vmpr.org, and it's $25 if you're not a monthly donor. But if you are, which we have lots of monthly donors, you get it for free. Study salvation history. It's going to help you understand the New Testament. And you can do that by going to vmpr.org, or you, know, you can call us and become a monthly donor by going online. It'll become free for you. Our phone number is 877 877- Five two six two one five one. It's been my honor to share salvation history as Dr. Hans shared it with me. That's how the spread. That's how the faith spreads, one person at a time. And when I was taught salvation history, I put it together in an adult ed series that we have. You want to get all the transcripts, rather reading it than uh, than actually listening. Go ahead and email me Terry at stjoe.com. That's Terry at s a i n t. JOE.com, and I can send you the transcripts. This adult series that really has done tremendous work for the Catholic Church. May God richly bless you, and don't forget, uh, Bishop Athanasius Snyder and Bishop Joseph Strickland will be on a Terry and Jesse show on Monday. First time ever those two bishops to talk about our Catholic faith. May God richly bless you and your family. <laughs>